We're at a front end of, the, of a long uh, sermon series in Luke. Um, a master class from the master lessons in living. Um, last week were, there were lessons about the Sabbath and this morning lessons about uh, table manners. So if you turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, the 14th chapter, we read together the first 14 verses. Listen then to the voice of God. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him away. And then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. And then humiliated, you'll have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. And then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to the host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The word of the Lord. Last week, a text that I had never seen and never looked at. This week, a text that uh, we looked at together in 2019. I'm sure you remember. Um, I did the absolute best I could to write completely new material, sermon. Material makes it sound like it's comedy. <laughs> There's one image that I have used in the past that I hope you will, um, I hope it resonates with you. In my early 20s, I was welcomed into an upstairs two flat in Roseland for family meals. We ate greens, ribs, mac and cheese, cornbread, and peach cobbler. The conversation was loud, loving, and salty. 
there were three generations gathered around the table. Olivia, Deshaun, Tatiana, Julia, Glenn, Mario, Deborah, Deneen. An aunt and uncle and countless cousins who lived across the street flowed in and out of these meals. And for, impre- for an impressionable young man, this was nothing like my English grandmother pouring tea and cutting meat pies at the head of the table. I have since buried or went to funerals for too many. But that family and that table powerfully shaped who I am. What tables shaped you? What shared meals defined who you are? There's something universal in a shared meal. For while the foods may differ and the traditions may vary, mealtime is where religious rites, cultural mores, social capital, and community values are clearly defined and transmitted. People are shaped around the table. It's the context where we learn a great deal about who we are and what we value. What tables shaped you? What shared meals defined who you are? Dear friends, if how we eat is at the center of who we are and how we live, if how we eat shapes who we are and how we live, is it any wonder that the Gospels are full of stories with meals as the backdrop, from feeding the thousands to making wedding wine to discourse with his disciples over dinner to setting a table of memory and communion. The life of Jesus is stuffed full of significant moments at dinner. And yet Jesus didn't have his own table. Never the host. He was always the guest. He was always dependent. He was always invited. He was always asking. There is no record of Jesus working for a wage to pay for his own happy meal. There's biblical legend that he learned his father's trade as a carpenter. But there's no evidence that he set aside money to fund his ministry or set a table. Chances are, in the words of William Willimon, Jesus and his disciples must have been beggars. Or in the words of Tim Condor, he was a parasite, an itinerant wanderer who invited himself to the homes of social outcasts and dined with the immoral. Those are loaded words but let's come back to that.
There's no indication of why Jesus was the guest of a prominent Pharisee on the Sabbath. The language suggests there's a certain tension. This was the high meal of the week. This was a defining moment. And therefore, it could have been that Jesus was invited in order to be tested. Let's see how this fellow fares around a table. It's, it's one thing to teach and heal, but it's altogether something else to share a meal. Let's see how this fellow fares around the table. And true to form, Jesus offends before the entrees are served. He heals a man, disarms their Sabbath legalism, and launches into a bit of instruction about table etiquette. As one commentator puts it, Jesus here seems more mismanners than Messiah. So, the place of honor was next to the host. Remember the disciples arguing over who would sit next to Jesus when he comes in glory. And there must have been some jockeying and jostling for the best places. So Jesus chimes in with a quick lesson in how to win friends and influence people. And there's a proverbial feel to the instruction Jesus gives. If you're looking for a seat, and in fact, Proverbs 25, 6-7 reads, Do not exalt yourself in the king's presence and do not claim a place among great men. It's better for him to say to you, come up here, than for him to humiliate you before noblemen. Go down there. So Jesus says, if you want to be exalted, humble yourself. Take him at his word. If you want to be seated, the only risk you run is being asked to move up. So don't sit in the fancy seats. But there's something odd here. The payoff is not being humiliated and maybe even being asked to move up from the cheap seats to the front row. Therefore, in some ways, this sounds like a strategy for self-interest and success. And that can't be right. Be that as it may. And being an equal opportunity offender, Jesus turns his attention to the host, from the guests to the host, and offers instructions about where to send the invitations. When you throw a dinner party, don't just invite rich relatives who can repay, but invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. In other words, invite those who can't reciprocate. 
serve those who can't pay back. Jesus flips over the social ladder. This is not just a polite reshuffling of where people sit. This is a reordering of the way of the world. You're still with me? Because again, there's something really odd here. Because in some ways, all Jesus does is push back the payoff. If you invite the unwashed and the unwanted to dinner, your return will come at the resurrection. If you invite those who can't repay, you'll get repaid by God. The problem, you see the problem? <laughs> the problem is that it makes the poor our stepping stones to heaven's highest places. The problem is that it frames helping the poor as investing in eternal capital. They serve to ensure our gain. In a way, it's an abuse of the needy and the discarded. And Jesus certainly can't mean that. Amen? So there must be something else going on here. And is it worth mentioning that the host has already done what Jesus instructed? There was a man suffering from edema at the table, and Jesus was an itinerant teacher without the ability to pay. The lame and the poor were already at the table. There must be something else going on here. So dear friends, I'm not sure that this text is primarily about table manners. I'm not sure that the concern of Jesus is social convention or even the role that shared meals play in common life. I'm not sure this is simply about etiquette. So what else is going on here? Let's try this on for size. And this is an image that I've spoken of before. D.T. Niles, a missionary to India, or Sri Lanka, is credited with saying, evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where to get bread. Evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where to get bread. I didn't first hear that line from D.T. Niles. I heard it from Mr. Southall. I was a college kid interning at Rosalind Christian Ministries and eating with the Hudsons and Turners. Mr. Southall was a sinewy old black man with, from deep down in Mississippi with skin as black as oil and hair white as marshmallows. He cut a dramatic figure when in a thrift store suit and tie he would parade around church, caught up in the Holy Ghost, and hollering out how happy he was to know God and be Christian Reformed. 
he would say, I've been Christian reformed my whole life and I didn't know it. <laughs> his eyes were watery pools and his muscles were taut as he would raise his arms, shake his fists and bellow, I didn't break the bread of life and neither did you. I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where to get bread. Maybe the word of Jesus in the home of a Pharisee is that we're all beggars. We're all dependent. Jesus makes himself dependent on the hospitality of a prominent Pharisee. Jesus makes himself dependent on the kindness and mercy of humanity. And ultimately, Jesus makes himself dependent on the selfishness and brutality of humanity. Maybe there's a reminder here that we're all dependent. We're all dependent on the mercy of God and the kindness of one another. So whether you have the best seat in the house or you're waiting in the wings, whether you can repay with a good meal or you've got nothing to offer is inconsequential because we're all dependent. We all need mercy. We all need an invitation to the banquet table. And what if we saw everyone in that light? Rather than the defining categories of race, class, or faith, rather than the categories of theology, politics, or sexuality, rather than those who are in and those who are out, rather than us and them, what if we saw everyone as dependent? Not as the objects of mercy or mission, but rather just as brothers and sisters cut from the same cloth, dependent. So this would be a really good Sunday to have communion. We have it next week. But maybe this is a good week to think about it. Because communion by intention, how we celebrate communion here by hope, at hope, is clumsy, a matter of great humor, imperfect, and decidedly human. But it's part of why I like it. As we make our way down these aisles toward the table, piety and position are erased. All are welcome, fresh-faced and wrinkled, hobbled and healthy, broken and grateful, confident and confused, all figured out and still really wondering.
all are welcome and fed. All share in a taste of the coming banquet. And Jesus, who never had a table, sets a table for all. And you see it played out through intinction rather than bowed over our private servings of Jesus. So what tables shaped you? What shared meals defined who you are? Sarah Miles, a loud liberal lesbian who came to Christ by walking into a church and taking communion just off the street, puts it this way about the table that shaped her. This is Sarah Miles. The table that Jesus set. It proclaims against reason that the hungry will be fed, that those who are cast down will be raised up, and that all things, including my own failures, are being made new. It offers food without exception to the worthy and the unworthy, the screwed up and the pious, and then commands everyone to do the same. It doesn't promise to solve or erase suffering, but to transform it, pledging that by loving one another, even through pain, we will find life. And it insists that by opening ourselves to strangers, the despised, the frightening, or the unintelligible other, by opening ourselves to the stranger, the despised, and the, the frightening or unintelligible other, by opening ourselves to them, we will see more and more of the holy, since without exception, all people are one body, God's. Dear friends, as far as God is concerned, there is nothing that we can bring or we can earn. All we do is show up empty-handed at the banquet. And the host, who knows what it's like to be dependent, is saving a place for you. We're all just beggars at the feast. Thanks be to God. Amen.